So what does this word wonder, when you think of it, bring to mind and heart? Well, the old theologian Dr. Seuss had a very good phrase on it. Think and wonder, wonder and think, he said. Neil Armstrong said, mystery creates wonder, and wonder is the basis of man's desire to understand. All of us have different ideas in our minds and hearts when we think of the term wonder. And in particular, in Christian circles, as we've already referenced, as we've already mentioned, it brings about this idea of amazement, of awe for who God is for the way that he functions, he operates, the person that we read of and know based on God's word. In fact, we see the initial stage for us when engaging with God in wonder in Genesis chapter 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There is a wonder about creation itself, about how God brought that about, how he was before. And in our minds and hearts and lives, and really everyone on the planet, that question about how did that come about, what did that look like, has continually been sought after, where people have tried to answer that. Many, of course, not utilizing or trusting the word of God, have gone a different direction and have said it's taken place in different ways. We could go through all of the theories. We won't. We know that God created. God was before creation and that he created the heavens and the earth and all that passed, including us, and that gives us great hope and great joy. It brings to our minds and hearts exactly that. In the Old Testament, the word wonder typically was associated with uh, the things that God supernaturally did on the miracles. And in the New Testament, again, we see, especially in the person of Christ, this wondering at the marvel of who Jesus was and the miracles he performed. And so this morning, we are going to focus on, in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, specifically Christ's identity, his identification and intentions, and then the intervention that God brought about in placing the pers person of Jesus on the planet. And so it'll be very helpful to us, maybe even seeing it in a way that we haven't before. So in your Bibles, you'll notice Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Let's read that together. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son with you. I am well pleased. Well, that's an odd passage to share this time of year related to Christmas. As we know, last week, looking again at Matthew, we saw uh, the, the uh, wise men, uh, pressing forward, seeing the star, knowing where Jesus was, God leading them to that point. We saw also Joseph's dream. We talked of that for a moment. In Luke, uh, next week, we will look, of course, at, at Mary and this vision that God gave her and the shepherds and the flocks by night and the scene uh, that took place. In John, we obviously, in John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word referring to Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so we see the mystery or the wonder of Christmas there. But, but Mark spends zero time on the birth of Jesus and on his early days. In fact, 40% almost of this book focuses solely on the last week of Jesus, his death, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and all that took place. And so why this passage in particular 
uh, to help us see possibly Christmas uh, in a different way? Well, the baptism of of Christ actually shows us, I believe, three uh, different things in particular about the wonder of who he was and how that will add to or show us who Christ was, especially in this season. And first we see in this the wonder of his identity. God, Jesus is God's son. Once again, we've referenced Old Testament, and we see the incarnation, what that exactly is. Jesus becoming fully man, being fully God, and both of those together being lived in perfection without sin. The incarnation, Jesus, God, becoming human and being fully perfect in both, fully man, fully God. Those who have nothing to do with Christ's function, though, would say uh, this speaks of uh, this unusual event or this individual who, for some reason, can't grasp the fact that God could act specifically in this way. How can God, Jesus in particular, give up heaven, come to earth, live for the period of time that he did, and then after his crucifixion and ascension returning to heaven, one day coming back for us. How is that possible? Some individuals just cannot get past the fact of what God did. And so there's a barrier or a block when we begin to share the gospel with individuals who are in that position, talking of the incarnation, of Jesus coming and actually being God and being man. It just is, in some respects, unfathomable for them. We who know Jesus, in turn, have a heart of gratitude for this gracious act of God, knowing our sin, knowing this barrier that existed between our lives and himself, sending Jesus in perfection without sin to die, to take on the sin of the world upon himself, to give us the opportunity for relationship with him, because he knew without that, we would be hopeless. And as his creation, that was not his plan. It's interesting in the book of Mark, as we walk through it a little bit more, seeing again this idea of wonder, of his identity, of who the person of Jesus was, different groups responded in the same way. Look in Mark 1, 21 through 22. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So in general, the people, when they related to Jesus or saw him, especially at the upfront of his ministry, of his public ministry, they were in awe, in wonder of who Jesus was. So the crowds, the individuals, the people experienced that wonder. Flip over to Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Of course, they were the title of this section, Jesus Calms the Storm. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. So here Jesus lay on the stern, asleep on this cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? We are going to die, and we need help. And he awoke. And rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? 
And they were filled with great fear, with awe, with wonder, and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? So the disciples, knowing him, being with him for this period of time, were filled with wonder in who the person Jesus was. We also see in Mark chapter 12, if you'll flip in your Bibles to Mark 12, verses 13 through 17. And they sent him to some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. But truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. They wondered at him. So even the Pharisees and Sadducees, these religious teachers, the enemies of Jesus, looked upon him with wonder because of his identity, because of the person that he was. We notice in verse 11, of chapter 1, that he is referred to, or that when God spoke, he said, a voice from heaven, you are my beloved son. That word, beloved, or beloved, depending on how you uh, pronounce it. We see in the Old Testament, Abraham, if we remember, when he took Isaac to the altar, there was a, a calling of God in his life to sacrifice his son. We obviously know that was a great test for Abraham. And so, in that moment, just as he was preparing to heal his one and only son, the other place where only son is referenced, his beloved son, God provided a ram in the thicket. The ram became then the sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice that God was calling for. In the New Testament then, in this reference of beloved son, we know that God sent his son Jesus as a sacrifice or atonement for us for our sin, taking our place to put us in right standing with God, to redeem us, to restore us in the only way that he could. So we see this picture of beloved in the way that Abraham loved his beloved son, in the way that God loved his beloved son, both showing this idea of sacrifice. Brent and Mindy Miller sacrificing for their kids, making God the priority in their home and in their lives, not being perfect. No parents are perfect but striving to love Christ with their all, making a difference. Jesus, the beloved son of God. Abraham, this picture. There's a special relationship, obviously, then, between Jesus, the son of God, and God the Father. If we look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, Things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. God did this work. Things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. There's this wonder in it. What does that exactly mean? Well, it means that two items. One, the literal, thinking of firstborn, thinking of the one, is literally the child who is firstborn in the family. Secondly, metaphorically, as Psalm 89.27 speaks of David, God is saying the firstborn, the highest king of kings 
on earth. It's a way of saying that David, in that verse in particular, the king was greater than any other king on earth. In this reference of Colossians 1, 15 through 17, it's saying that Christ is preeminent. He is over all. And so not only is he a, one of the three in the Trinity in the Godhead, not only is he creator, not only does he hold all things together and is before all things, creation actually submits to Christ. He is preeminent, and Jesus is God. There was one of the points that was made in this verse. God's son, Jesus, is God. We will look at that more so in John in two weeks. The wonder of Christmas, then, is the truth that this child born is God in the flesh. And honestly, if we consider it, it is absolutely mind-blowing that he would love us that much to send his son to die for us, to take the sin of the world upon himself. His very identity calls to Jesus being God. Next, we see the wonder of his intervention. It's interesting um, in uh, these verses that we see in other places as well that um, the, the, the heavens were torn open. Now, he could have used just the term opened. The other place where torn open is used is in Mark chapter 15 when uh, the Bible speaks of the curtain in the temple being torn in two. And so we see these two occasions, this one, heaven being torn open, Jesus being sent. Uh, of course, we see as well in the baptism of Jesus, God speaking directly, uh, sending his spirits descending on him like a dove. There's this picture, this uh, reality of God's presence in that moment heaven being torn open, and then we think again of when the curtain was torn in two in the temple, showing us that the way to God is no longer through the temple. It's through the cross. And so we, grateful for this idea or this truth of this, the heavens being torn open for the sake of us having a direct relationship with Christ, we see this moment in this baptism where God did this miracle in uh, their presence as he opened up, tore open heaven. Uh, picture again of, of God's intervention to mankind, of him coming knowing that we needed a Savior, providing that opportunity for us. We see in Galatians 4, 4 through 7, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, then an heir to God. So in the baptism of Christ, we see the wonder of the incarnation, the wonder of his identity. Jesus is God, and the wonder of God's intervention in human history. Bringing us to himself through the life and the work of Christ. And finally, we see the wonder of his intentions in his identification, Jesus came to John for the purpose of baptism. So why would someone, the only one who was perfect, who was without sin, need or want or desire the baptism in particular from John? We'll look at verse 5. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So this picture of John the Baptist, this wild guy as described in in this section and other places in Scripture as well, uh, eating bees and honey and all that he was involved with, that he, uh, this, this wild man, calling people out to the wilderness for the sake of repentance. We think back to the Old Testament 
and in what God did in Genesis chapter 12, and the descendants of a great nation, Abraham, that being developed, located in the wilderness, having this period of years where instead of crossing over into the promised land, they were left there in the wilderness. John as well, calling people to the wilderness, recalling to mind those who were coming to him as well, what took place in all that was happened, had happened before, reminding people of how God worked and moved. They too coming for the purpose of repentance. Of course, in that setting, in the wilderness, in the Old Testament, uh, the Ten Commandments being developed and the people of Israel immediately falling and not being able to keep those and needing repentance. This too, John communicating this idea of repentance by proclaiming repentance in the wilderness. John the Baptist was calling people to start over. And in calling people to the wilderness to start over, John was proclaiming a message of both grace that God was giving them, is giving us by sending Jesus another chance, but also of judgment of what would come for those who did not surrender their lives to Jesus. And the people of Israel, once again, were being called into wilderness and to commit to being God's people. And listen, that's a hard truth for us. As we shared last week, uh, there's been a lot of loss with a lot of families within our church. Some have known the Lord. Some were without the Lord. And so this idea of grasping with or grappling with grace and the mercy of God and seeing the other side of it as well can bring to mind and heart great pain, torment, struggle, and wondering in that, where is the goodness of God? Some of those things, even though we, if we've surrendered our lives to Jesus, see the reality of his goodness in us, the grace and mercy he's supplied to us, doesn't at times necessarily remove the pain and heartache that exists there. The truth, though, is that the grace of God is available to us in the midst of that. And at times, it's difficult to see the other side. We have already seen Jesus is God. He was not in need of repentance. He did this as a show or as a sign or as obedience to the Father that he was God's Son. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us Jesus knew no sin. Hebrews repeats over and over again, Jesus knew no sin. Peter tells us the same thing. It is a hallmark of the Word of God. He was tempted in every way as we are, but was without sin. So why be baptized then, as a means of communicating his intention of what he was called to do. In submitting to John's baptism, Jesus acknowledged the judgment of God against sin, and his mission would, know, would be to bear the judgment himself. And bearing that judgment, he would become the means to grace that God offers sinners to start anew with him. And that is our lives. This morning we've seen the wonder of Christ's identity his intervention, his intentions, his identification. It's the wonder that Christ came to earth alone is amazing. The fact that he lived and that he dies and rose again, he gives us the opportunity for life in him, brings about great encouragement. The wonder is Jesus himself, the person of who he is. And we too, like every person and people group that we identified as we walked through Mark, and there, of course, are several other sections that also talk about how people responded to Jesus, we too should have a sense of wonder of who Jesus 
is. Especially the sense of wonder that the God of the universe would want a relationship individually with us. Who else offers that? No one can. The God of the universe is so passionately in love with you that he wants a deepening relationship with you. And as you walk through this life, the joys and the pains together, he so desires that you know his presence in his life, that he is with you, that he doesn't leave you or forsake you if you are his. That one day this heaven that the Bible talks about is waiting for you if you know him should bring about an attitude and heart in our lives of gratitude for the grace and mercy of God. The very fact that he wants to know you, that he loves you, that he knows you. Jesus himself is wonder. And so, really, the, the point of the message is simple today. Um, really, really pretty simple. Um, if you don't know Jesus as Savior, if you have never surrendered your life to him, the call of God in your life today is to run to him, to surrender your life, and to begin this relationship with him that he's called you to. If you know Jesus, it's possible that in the mundane, day in, day out, at times in our lives, walking on this planet, that there is this sense of wonder that needs to be recreated in your mind and heart by the Father. And so if it's been a while since you've considered or looked at the wonders of who Jesus is, the wonders of who God is, then I encourage you, start spending time again in his word and allow this wide-eyed wonder to return to your minds and to your hearts and to your lives, just as these preschoolers did when they walked in our fellowship hall on Friday and Saturday of this week. Wide-eyed wonder. What is all this? It's possible that God wants to restore that in your life, not just to keep you there or to stay there, but to be able to effectively share the gospel and the wonder of it with those who are lost, who are desperately seeking him. I had a lunch with a friend this week, and we'll be done. Uh, and we began to talk about um, this life and how brief it is, how time just goes. And instead of speaking of what was coming for him one day, he's about my age, heaven, because he knows Jesus looking forward to that. Instead of looking forward to, he said the most, seeing those with whom he'd be reunited. Instead of looking forward to the most, sitting with Peter, James, and John, and whoever were in the New Testament, Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all that he would get to have conversations with, that wasn't the key piece. It wasn't just being able to see the golden streets of heaven. Here's the wonder of it. Depth of his heart. Here's what he said. I cannot wait to simply sit at the feet of Jesus and worship. That's what I look forward to the most, being in his presence. And I sat back because it's been a while since someone's just stated that to me. The most important, encouraging thing to look forward to is just sitting at the feet of Jesus, communing with him, worshiping him, 
there's a wonder in that. And I desire that in my life as well. E.B. White said, always be on the lookout for the presence of wonder. The wonder of Christmas is Jesus. And this year, he has particularly placed you in positions where you are with individuals to share and communicate that hope. The hope, which is the wonder of Christmas, which is Jesus. Let's pray together.